it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you listen to the podcast at investinghope.com, Podbean, Google Play, iTunes, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. Today we got a lot to talk about. It's also Christmas week. We'll, uh, we'll reminisce and talk a little bit about Christmas as well. Uh, but, but I do want to talk about a couple things uh, in today's show. Obviously, we're going to talk about uh, some, some news coming out about Texas and, and about the Supreme Court. Uh, we're going to look at a, a FDA ruling that came out concerning uh, abortion by mail. And so abortion pills have been, uh, during the pandemic, it was made easier to receive the abortion pill. And the FDA of the Biden administration has come out and said that is now permanent. And so uh, they're doing that because of the writing on the wall. They believe that there's a chance that Roe v. Wade is overturned. And so if Roe v. Wade is overturned and it goes back to the states, then it would allow for women, uh, no matter where they are in the country, to receive abortion pills via mail. And so what you're going to find coming up is state legislatures looking to to uh, curtail that and to figure out how they can fight that. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Also, I would assume once uh, if if the Oval Office changes hands and a conservative is in there, uh, that that FDA ruling would go away. I also want to look at uh, there's a there was a recent study. Uh, and this just tells us what we already know, but there was a recent study about uh, fatherlessness and and why it's important to have a father in the home. And uh, and and we don't talk enough about this. I think we you know sometimes in our culture when you bring up the lack of dads, the lack of fathers in the home, uh, you know they act as if you're saying that women aren't strong enough or, or uh, women can't do things on their own. That that's not the case. It just says there is an ideal. Right, the, the scripture says that there's an ideal: mom, dad, kids in the home, one man, one wife, and kids. That's the ideal scenario. That's what scripture tells us. But we don't live in a perfect, ideal world. What we live in is a broken, fallen world. So we have broken families. We have divorce. We have single-family homes. All that, all that. And 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 so what? What we're not saying is single moms are bad. What we're saying is in an ideal situation, you would want a father in the home, not just a father. You would want a mom in the home as well. Uh, but, but studies have shown what it looks like when, when there's no fathers in the home, and that's where we're going to start today. Uh, so some fathering advocates would say that almost every social ill faced by America's children is related to father, fatherlessness. And six are noted in this piece. As supported by the data below, children from fatherless homes are more likely to be poor, become involved in drug and alcohol abuse, drop out of school, and suffer from health and emotional problems. Boys are more likely to become involved in crime, and girls are more likely to become pregnant as teens. Poverty. Children in father-absent homes are almost four times more likely to be poor. In 2011, 12% of children in married couple families were living in poverty, compared to 44% of children in mother-only families. And that's uh, the source of that is the U.S. Census Bureau. Uh, children living in female-headed families with no spouse present had a poverty rate of 47.6%, over four times the rate in married couple families. And, and so why do we talk about that? First off, if you have two, a, a mom and a dad in a home, you have two incomes, that's a better scenario. You have parents that can help each other out. So like in my home, we have a mom and a dad. And in my home, we even have a grandmother. We, my mother-in-law lives with us. 
And so we're all helping each other out. We homeschool, so we're all helping with homeschool. We need groceries. We're all helping with groceries. This kid needs to be here, and that kid needs to be there. We're all helping each other out, right? And, and, and different people can work, and my wife works, and I work, and, and all these things. And so it can look a lot different in my home growing up. My parents divorced after 22 years of marriage. I was 14 years old. But up until that point, I had two parents in the house. Both parents worked in, in some shape, form, or fashion. My dad's a farmer. My mom uh, had a number of different jobs. And so there was, there was a process. And, and so all we're saying is that the numbers and the data show the best case scenario is mother and dad in the home. Another thing that we see is drug and alcohol abuse. The U.S. Department of Health and Human Services states, fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse. There is significantly more drug use among children who do not live with their mother and father. This is what the data shows. Physical and emotional health. A study of 1,977 children aged 3 and older living with a residential father or father figure found that children living with married biological parents had significantly fewer externalizing and internalizing behavioral problems than children living with at least one non-biological parent. Children of single-parent homes are more than twice as likely to commit suicide. Again, these are studies and data that shows this. Data from three waves of the uh, fragile family study was used to examine the prevalence and efforts of mothers' relationship changes between birth and age three on their children's well-being. Children born to single mothers show higher levels of aggressive behavior in children than children born to married mothers. Living in a single mother household is equivalent to experiencing 5.25 partnership transitions. Again, what we're talking about here is the ideal scenario. And in the non-ideal scenario, the rate of these issues and problems increase dramatically. Educational achievement. Children in ages 7 to 12 who have lived with at least one biological parent, youth that experienced divorce, separation, or non-union birth reported lower grade point averages than those who have always lived with both biological parents. Children living with their married biological father tested at a significantly higher level than those living with a non-biological father. Father involvement in schools is associated with the higher likelihood of a student getting mostly A's. This was true for fathers in biological parent families, for stepfathers, and for fathers heading single-parent families. 71% of high school dropouts are fatherless. Fatherless children have more trouble academically, scoring poorly on tests of reading, mathematics, thinking skills. Children from father-absent homes are more likely to be truant from school, more likely to be excluded from school, more likely to leave school at age 16, and less likely to attain academic and professional qualifications in adulthood. Crime is another one. Adolescents living in intact families are less likely to engage in delinquency than their peers living in non-intact families. Compared to peers in intact families, adolescents in a single-parent families and step-families were more likely to engage in delinquency. This relationship appeared to be operating through differences in family processes, parental involvement, supervision, monitoring, and parent-child closeness between intact and non-intact families. A study using data from the National Longitudinal Study of Adolescent Health explored the relationship between family structure and a risk of violent acts in neighborhoods. The results revealed that if the number of fathers is low in a neighborhood, then there is an increase in acts of teen violence. The statistical data showed that a 1% increase in the proportion of single-parent families in a neighborhood is associated with a 3% increase in adolescent level of violence. 
In other words, adolescents who live in neighborhoods with lower proportions of single-parent families and who report higher levels of family integration commit less violence. Number six, sexual activity and teen pregnancy. A study using a sample of 1,409 rural southern adolescents aged 11 to 18 years old investigated the correlation between father absence and self-reported sexual activity. The results revealed that adolescents in father-absent homes were more likely to report sexually active compared to adolescents living with their fathers. Being raised by a single mother uh, can raise the risk. Being raised by a single parent can raise the risk of these actions. And so the reason why I wanted to talk about that today, it is, again, it's not to run down single moms. It's not to run down those that, that are stepping up and taking care of their responsibilities while others aren't. I know plenty of single moms that have done amazing jobs with their children. I know plenty of single dads that have done amazing jobs with their children. Some of these folks didn't ask to be single moms or single parents, but it's the cards they were dealt. That doesn't mean that they're terrible people. It doesn't mean that they're raising bad kids. But, but in our culture and in our society, we should look at the data and look at the studies that are out there. And, and this is toward the dads out there listening. Being involved makes a difference. Being present in your child's life makes a difference. Being at home when they lay down at night and being there when they wake up in the morning makes a difference. Letting them see how you love your spouse makes a difference. Letting them see how you interact in the neighborhood and with employees and with coworkers and with people at church, it makes a difference. So again, it's not to run down anybody. We're just talking about the ideal scenario. Both my parents loved me. But ideally, they wouldn't have got divorced. Right? Ideally, I would have grew up in the home until I moved out with my mom and dad, period. But that's not what happened. And look, we, we know that relationships end for a number of reasons. We know that, that the ideal scenario is not always possible. And we know that in some of these circumstances, the guy is so toxic and bad that the woman needs to leave. And it's better for her to be a single mom than be in a relationship with this toxic individual. But again, we strive for the ideal. And when we talk about the best case scenario for children, the best case scenario is for that child to grow up in, their, in the home of their biological mom and dad. That's best case scenario. Not always possible, but that's best case scenario. We often talk as a culture of, of our goals and aspirations and what we want to be and where we want to go and, and how far up the, the career ladder do we want to climb. And then if you talk about, as part of that, being the best dad, the best husband, or the best wife, the best mom, that tends to get thrown to the side. But do you ever think about legacy? you ever think about what you're leaving for the generations to come? What you're leaving for your children? The legacy that my grandparents are leaving for me is marriages that lasted for 50 plus years, 
on my dad's side. My, my mom's side, my grandma and granddaddy are still living. Been married for over 60 years, had seven kids. Hasn't been perfect. They've had their problems. But the legacy that's being left there is through thick and thin we, we work it out. Did their kids turn out perfect? No. But in that scenario, you're giving them the best opportunity. And so when we talk about life, when we talk about abortion, our culture would say, oh, it doesn't matter. You can be a single parent. Or, and, and, and in fact, you don't even need to be a parent. You don't want to be a parent right now. Just, just have an abortion. Put that off. Keep putting that off. Keep putting that off. Just have an abortion and move on with your life. Go ahead and continue to climb up that career ladder. You don't need a baby to weigh you down. Yet in, in saying that, they're still encouraging the sex with no cost. Just just do it. Just do it. Whatever makes you feel good. Just run out. See, they still encourage all the, the bad patterns that create single parent homes. But in... But instead of fixing the, the root of the problem, they say, just hey, just put a Band-Aid on it in the life of the baby in your womb and then move on with your life. Keep living your life the way you want to live it. Go do whatever it is you want to do. That's what abortion's for. You can, you can get rid of that pregnancy at any time. Is that the legacy we want to leave as a country? Is that the legacy we want to leave as a culture? I hope not. And so when we think through these things, again, it's not to, 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 to bog down or, or to badmouth those that are doing everything they can to, to raise their children the right way. That's not the goal. The goal is, hey, what's the best case scenario? And we should strive for that. And so what does that look like? That, that looks like a number of different things. But it also looks like a support system. So if you do have a single mom, or even I've seen in some scenarios, there was one high school that was dealing with a lot of teen violence. And what did the dads do? About seven or eight dads of the kids in that school started showing up at the school every day. And guess what happened? The fight stopped. The violence stopped. Simply with the presence of a dad. Not to be a jerk but to be there and be engaged. It makes a difference. And so if, if you know of families in your circle that are, that are raising kids by themselves, become a support system. Help them. That's what we've been called to do. We'll be back. Walking around the Christmas tree at the Christmas party hop. As we continue the conversation today, we want to, we want to look at a couple of things. And, and I wanted to start with the, in the first segment with fatherlessness because it, sometimes it's discussed and, it, and it's uh, discussed in a hateful, angry way. Uh, but the reality is we need dads to step up. You know, my dad, all, he had a, a, a thing above his bed that said, anyone can be a father, but it takes someone special to be a dad. Now, some people say, well, a father and a dad are the same thing. But the reality is... They're not. A dad is present. That's what, this, that's what that saying is trying to get to. A dad is present. A dad is engaged. 
A dad hugs his kids. A dad cares about his kids. A dad is there. You know, you can you can be a sperm donor. You can create help create a baby and then do nothing. You're not a dad. And so we, we, we certainly wanna wanna go after the ideal. We wanna do everything we can and, and, and work hard at it. It's worth it. Uh and, and so as we as we continue to look at, at what's going on, recently the FDA made an announcement that doesn't surprise me um, at all, but but it should sadden us. And and the NPR wrote about it. An FDA decision gives more access to abortion pills by mail, uh, but state laws can differ. So uh, it's estimated that abortion pills account for as many as 40% of abortions in the U.S., uh, this past week, the FDA made a permanent rule change that eases access to these pills. Uh, the growing number of patients seeking to end pregnancies are using abortion pills, and in increasingly restrictive climate for abortion providers, many are taking those pills at home. And NPR uh, reports activists on both sides of the issue are taking note. Earlier this year, uh, the, they're, they're speaking of a testimony, somebody that uh, had what she calls a birth control mishap and found out she was pregnant. Uh, this person said, my husband was like, whatever you want to do, if you want to bring the baby to term, that's fine, if you will figure it out. But but like, if you don't want to, that's your decision, whatever you want to do. Again, that's not a man being a dad in that scenario. And I've said it here multiple times. If, if you ask, hey, where are we going to eat? And I say, whatever decision you make is fine. We'll We'll go wherever you want to go. That's okay. But if it involves a pregnancy, hey, do you want to keep the child or, or in the life of the child? And, and my answer is whatever you want to do. That's putting all the burden of that decision on, on your shoulders. That's not helpful at all. It's cowardly. The reporter from NBR says that this woman is 33 and not sure if she wants kids. After some research, she decided on a medication abortion using a drug called or using a drug, followed by a second drug. Uh, th- this, this person made sure she knew where to go for emergency care if she needed it and set herself up in front of her TV with a heating pad to help with the cramping she experienced for several days. Uh, the patient said, I took it on Friday night, and it was rough, but I don't regret it. NPR goes further. In New York, where this patient lives, abor- abortion pills are available through telemedicine with a doctor's help, but... This patient chose to get the pills online through a European-based organization called Aid Access. She filled out a questionnaire about her medical history, and within a few days, she says the pills arrived by mail to her home in Brooklyn. The patient said, I just like the ability to do it in the comfort of my own home, and to have someone like around that would be able to help support me if I needed it. On Thursday, the Food and Drug Administration took a step toward easing access to abortion pills until recently... Doctors who prescribed the pill had to dispense it to patients in person. That rule was suspended because of the pandemic, allowing doctors to prescribe pills through telehealth and mail them to patients. And now the Biden administration has made that rule change permanent. But many states have their own restrictions. Nineteen still require the pills to be prescribed in person. So some women are finding other ways to get them. Elisa Wells is a co-founder of the nonprofit group Plan C, which provides information about where to get abortion pills. She says after a Texas law took effect on September 1st, banning most abortions in the state, she heard from many women there. 
On September 2nd, I think our traffic to our website was 25,000 people, most of those from Texas. And that's in comparison to prior, uh, the Senate bill there in Texas going into effect when we were having, you know, fewer than 1,000 a day. Groups opposed to abortion rights warned that taking pills at home could put patients at risk. But the World Health Organization says it can be safe under the right conditions. Now, what does that mean? It can be safe under the right conditions. Are we just supposed to start treating ourselves at home? I thought, I thought during the pandemic you were told not to treat yourself. Right? Some people are using medicines off-label, and, and you're told that you're anti-science and you're crazy. But when it comes to abortion and pills that are going to actually end the life of the child in your womb, hey, you should be able to do that without proper medical care and without a doctor overseeing it. You should be able to do that, right? So the World Health Organization says that under the right conditions, this is okay and safe. And several U.S. medical groups agree. Use of the abortion pill has become so widespread that it now accounts for about 4 in 10 abortions in the U.S. Now, of course, the folks at Susan B. Anthony List oppose this. Uh, she says, or they say, even as their movement wins victories in state capitals and the courts, medication abortion is shifting the battle lines. That change means that we're less engaged in the public arena because it's secret. It's behind closed doors. And she's pushing... Susan B. Anthony List is pushing for a new state restrictions on the pills. That's why we're working so closely together to get this on the state level in every single place we can. A new Texas law took effect this month prohibiting the delivery of abortion pills by mail. But Alyssa Wells of Plan C says that does little to stop health care providers outside of Texas. These pills are coming in from overseas or they're being mailed by people from within the U.S., but there's not really a mechanism for policing that. You see, that's the problem. But this is the goal. They know that if, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, more abortions may move from clinics to homes, prompting even more battles over the abortion pills. That's the goal. That's what they want to happen. You see, they, they made the argument for a long time, well, if, if Roe is overturned, you're going to have women in back alleys with coat hangers ending their pregnancy. First off, that, that never happened in mass numbers to begin with. It was just a scare tactic to get people to be against uh, or to be for abortion. Because the, the mantra from Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton from the 90s, from Obama, from anyone that, that was pro-abortion at the time, the mantra was safe, legal, and rare. You see, they used that narrative because they, they also line, or followed that up with people are in back alleys with coat hangers getting abortions and it's not safe. We need to have abortion safe. We need to have it legal, but we also need it to be rare because no one's really wanting to have an abortion except in the, in the very dire uh, situations. And so they argued for a long time, safe, legal, and rare. And so even if you're, if you're a church, a gospel person, you're going, well, yeah, I mean, it needs to be safe. We don't want people being in dangerous situations. We don't want people in back alleys. We don't want people breaking the law. So maybe I could get, a, get us get to a belief that it needs to be legal. And certainly, who doesn't think it should be rare? I mean, all of us thinks abortion should be rare. No one is seeking out abortion you see, but over time, that safe, legal, and rare mantra has changed. Why has it changed? Because they see the writing on the wall. Because they believe that Roe is at stake. They believe that, that this court may, in fact, overturn Roe v. Wade. And so arguing safe, legal, and rare hurts them now. Now we need it safe, but we also need it at all costs. Because women need abortion in order to, to climb 
the career ladder. Women need abortion to achieve their dreams. Women need abortion to fill in the blank. But what they don't mention is the men that are abusing it as well. So the men that are saying, I'll support you in whatever you do, are saying, I don't want kids. I want to continue down the path that I'm going down, but I'm going to put that decision on you. I don't want to be held by the responsibility of a child. And so this system is now encouraging men to do that. It's encouraging men to shirk their responsibilities. So now what they're saying is, it's not going to be the back alleys. It's going to be in living rooms. Now the mailbox has become the abortion clinic. Now the mailmen, the male women, have become the dispensary of these pills. Now you can get them from all over the world. Now you don't have to be even be seen by a doctor. And in the comfort of your living room, you can abort the baby in your womb. Just take these two pills, no big deal, no side effects, no, no, no hard cases. Just take these pills and get on with your life. That's not true. Many of these women have side effects. Many of these women have to end up in the emergency room. What if these women aren't honest with the people that they're telling them they want the abortion pills from? What if these women are further along than what they think? You see, it's not anti-science. It's not anything to say, hey, I, I think there should be some oversight here. But instead, you have organizations that, that claim to be representing medical science but they're actually advocates for abortion. In no other scenario would we encourage women to have abortions in the comfort of their home. That's, that's terrible for a civilized society, but yet that's where we are. We'll be back. All right, it is Christmas week. In the first two segments, we talked about some hard stuff. Life, abortion, abortion by male, fatherlessness, so this segment, we're going to talk about Christmas. And uh, anyone else excited about Christmas? I mean, it, it is, you know, I think it's become cliche to say it's the best time of the year, my favorite time of the year, but it is. It's, it, uh, it is the most wonderful time of the year. There's a number of reasons for that. Now, I get that some people, it, it's tough. Uh, there, there's going to be some people that, that aren't going to meet this year uh, with their family because, uh, politics. They're not going to meet with their family because of vaccine status. They're not going to meet with their families because somebody might have tested positive for COVID or somebody might have uh, sniffles and you don't know what it is. And so you just want to keep people safe. Uh, there's going to be some people that meet this year and a chair is going to be empty because they lost a grandma or a grandpa uh, or a dad or a mom or a sibling or a cousin last year. And so I understand all that. I understand that, that this for some can be a difficult time of year. But man, is it also a wonderful, refreshing time of year as we get a chance to contemplate what Christmas is and a chance to think about uh, the God of the universe making a way for our salvation. Right? I mean, so, so we are fallen, broken people. We've been fallen, broken people since the Garden of Eden. Since Genesis 3. And the narrative since Genesis 3 is of God making a way. And we, he foreshadowed that in Genesis 3 when he, uh, an animal was sacrificed to cover Adam and Eve. 
So it's a picture of our sin being covered, our brokenness, our our sinful nature being covered by an innocent, spotless lamb. He foreshadowed that in Abraham about to sacrifice his son and God stops him and then he looks over and there's a lamb in the thicket to be sacrificed. That's God's way of saying, look, I'm, I'm going to send someone, I'm going to send a mediator so you don't have to do this. The, the foreshadowing continued to happen. You, you saw what God would do for the broken when it came to the people of Israel who constantly messed up, constantly failed, and he constantly paved the way. They said they wanted a king. He says, I have a king that's coming. And they said, no, we want an earthly king. And so he gave them earthly kings. And those kings failed them. As a, as a wake-up call to say, hey, the, the kings that you're wanting, this earthly type king, is not enough. But the king that I have for you is so much more. And then the culmination of that, when we see the angel show up to Mary. Hey, I know you're engaged. I know you're young. But you're going to carry the king. The savior of the universe. And in obedience, she follows. And then Joseph's, I don't know what to do. I'm going to divorce her in quiet. And then an angel shows up to Joseph and says, look, this is the Holy Spirit. This is, this is God working. And Joseph steps up. And then I love the, the scripture where we find out that, uh, that Zachariah and them are going to have a baby in their old age. And Elizabeth is carrying John the Baptist. And, and they're told, John the Baptist is going to be the front runner. He's going to pave the way. He's going to let people know and point people to Jesus, the one that is to come. Some people will think John is the Savior. He's not. He's just there to point people to the Savior. And then Mary walks in the room. Jesus in her womb. And Elizabeth has John in her womb. And John starts doing somersaults. Because he knows who entered the room. He knows Jesus is now in the room. So you have two unborn babies recognizing they're both in the room. And then Jesus lives a perfect, sinless life. And you know, I talked about earlier that the cowardly way out is to say things like, I'll support whatever decision you make on tough decisions. Because in doing that, you take no responsibility. It appears as if you're being supportive, but you're taking no responsibility. You're putting all of that burden and responsibility on the shoulder of the other person. And so what did we see when Jesus lived his life? The, the audience starts yelling, crucify him. And what does Pontius Pilate say? And he actually washes his hands and says, I wash my hands of this. This is on y'all. This is not on me. That's a coward. It appears as if Pontius Pilate is saying, you know, I would have done something different if I only had the power. Well, he did have the power. But he put all that responsibility on someone else's shoulders and took the cowardly way out. And what did Jesus do? He took all the responsibility on his shoulders. When he was hung on the cross, he took all of the responsibility, all of the 
the hate, all of the sin. He took it on himself. He didn't put that on anybody else. He took it on himself and died the death that we deserved in order that we may live. You see, the Christmas story is about more than just the birth of a Savior. The Christmas story is more than just the advent, the celebrating and the anticipating of the coming of the Savior. The the Christmas story is the beginning of the best thing that's ever happened to this planet. The king was sent. Jesus, fully man and fully God, choosing and and willingly stepping down from the heavens to, to be a baby, to live a perfect life, to do what we couldn't do. So that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Yeah, it's, it's one thing to celebrate the birth. It's one thing to, to think about the nativity scene, the manger, the stable, no room in the inn, all of those things. That's important. But if it just stopped there with a baby, we don't have much. If it just stopped with a perfect life, we don't have much. Frankly, if it just stopped at the cross on Calvary, we don't have much. Yeah, we have a a baby being born, lived a perfect life, but died like everybody else. So we have a story to tell. We, We have a historical account, but he died like everybody else. But see, it doesn't stop at Calvary either because he rose three days later. He did what we couldn't. He conquered death. He conquered sin to be the mediator for us. So during this Christmas season, season, yeah, absolutely celebrate the birth. I love the nativity scene. I love talking about being, Jesus being laid in a manger, wrapped in swaddling clothes. I love all that. I love the thought of presence under a tree. I love Christmas lights. I love Christmas music. But let this be a jumping off point to what he did for us and why he needed to be sent. When, when, we, when we look at it from that perspective and understand the, the weight and the, the burden that he took on himself and understand that even scripture says, cast your cares on me. So it wasn't that he just did it at the cross. He, he's saying, as you live your life, as, the, as these burdens of a pandemic, of losing a job, of, of a marriage ending, of losing a loved one. As these burdens come, a cancer diagnosis. As these burdens happen, bring them to me. Because you can't handle everything, but I can. That's, what, that's the message Jesus has for us. So as we think about the Christmas season and we think about all that's coming along with it, the anxiety, the regret, the joy, the nervousness, the thought, is this the last Christmas as a family? Is this my last Christmas? For some of you, it's going to be the first Christmas with your child, the first Christmas with your grandchild. 
And no matter where you are, we get to celebrate the fact that, that Jesus came. So we celebrate the first advent and long for the second advent, the second coming. So yeah, every week I, I rant and rave about life and abortion and Sometimes I get worked up, and I'm sure sometimes that gets you worked up, and sometimes I sound like a broken record, and I say the same thing over and over and over, and we feel like we're not gaining any traction and gaining any ground. But this week, and really every week, let us not forget what happened in the coming of Jesus. Christmas is a beautiful season because of what it represents. And I know some people say, oh, the trees and stuff are pagan and all that. What, what I'm saying is taking some time to reflect on the beauty that is a God of the universe sending a sacrifice to do what we couldn't. That's worth our time. That's worth our effort. And what a beautiful gift it is. That the God of the universe would think enough of me, would think enough of you, to send someone in your place. That's a Christmas story worth celebrating. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we finish up, this is the last show of the year. It's the last show before Christmas. Last show before 20. 22, that's what we're going into, right? 2022, crazy. I was thinking the other day about uh, the life my papa lives. My papa was born, let's see, he lived till 96. I mean, he was born in the, the 40s. And then I was thinking, wow, that means his parents were born in the 1800s. So my great-grandparents were born in the 1800s. I was born in the 80s. My parents were born in the 50s, 60s, 50s, I guess. Well, my papa might have been born in the 30s. I'm not good at math. Anyway, my kids were born in uh, all after 2010. And, and time flies by. Man, it does. But we are... Entering into 2022. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, man, by 2022, I thought we would have this. I thought we would have that. I thought I would be here in my career. I thought I would be married. I thought I would have this many kids. I, I, I thought all these things. And, and for some of us, we always look at the beginning of the year as a way to, that's the year I'm going to get my health under control. That's the year I'm going to get my job under control. That's the year I'm really going to focus on my marriage. It's the year I'm really going to focus on parenthood. And then, we start off strong in the beginning of the year, and then we, uh, those habits fade. What I would encourage you to do is not look to the new year as a time to kind of readjust. What about today? What about tomorrow? Because every day, every tomorrow is another opportunity to chase that dream, another opportunity to chase that goal, another opportunity to be a better dad, a better mom, a better husband, a better wife, a better friend, co-worker, child, grandparent. So whatever that is for you, sometimes when we put all our eggs in the basket of, okay, new year, new me, 
It's overwhelming, and we that's why we fail. Maybe we would say a new day, a new opportunity to be better than I was yesterday. Today I'm going to love better than I did yesterday. Today I'm going to be a better husband than I was yesterday, a better wife than I was yesterday. Are we looking for those opportunities? You know, I think in, in our time and in our culture, we, we're being programmed to be, be afraid. We're being programmed to be full of anxiety. We're being programmed to, to want to capture everything on our phones. Why is that? Social media? Cable news? I don't think it's a... Uh, necessary some kind of conspiracy i think it's they have gotten so good at knowing what we want that they just give us what we want right so they know what you're searching for they know the website you go to they know what you like to see on the news that people always say why don't we hear more good news well there's good news out there but it doesn't sell we'd rather see the car wreck We'd rather hear about pandemics and hospital shortages and, and all the like instead of hearing the good news that, that's happening. So maybe in your circle, be the one, the bearer of good news. You always hear people say, I'm the bearer of bad news. Well, let's be the bearer of good news, the person that brings the good news. Now, you can over-spiritualize that and say that the only good news is the gospel. Let's be the, the bearer of the gospel. We certainly should do that. But I'm just talking about normal good news. My kid did, did awesome on a history test the other day. Seven-page history test, and, and he's in fifth grade, and when I was going over it with him, there was a lot of things I didn't even know. And he only missed one. That's good news. That's not me being braggadocious about my child. That's good news. What's some good news that you can share? Have you been consistent in, in your health and fitness in the last month? That's good news. Did you get that promotion at work? That's good news. Did you meet a new friend? That's good news. Look, we get so bogged down in all the negative around us because that's what sells. Many of you know there's people in your lives that they are negative. Maybe you are that person. Take an opportunity this Christmas season to look and say, you know what, I'm going to be positive. I'm going to look at things a little differently. Each day is another opportunity to be better. I'm going to love today better than I did yesterday. And I promise you will not regret that. Don't wait till January 1st. We can start that today. We'll talk to you in the new year. Have a great one.